Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your snackable daily podcast for your pop culture fix. Hi, I'm Laura Brodnick. I'm the entertainment editor here at Mamma Mia. And I'm Kiris. I work for Social Squad, which is Mamma Mia's internal social media agency. And it is our dedicated Emmy show. We're going to go through the biggest wins and what you missed from the first big award ceremony to be held virtually. So did they pull it off? But first, we had to sneak in one itty-bitty, well, actually huge entertainment news headline because of Ellen. I have news. What's the hot goss? I want more headlines. So Ellen DeGeneres kicked off the 18th season of her talk show on Monday and my God, the tea has been brewing for months now and I could not wait to click on this as soon as I saw it this morning. So the show began with a five-minute monologue addressing the recent controversy where the show faced allegations from former employees that it fostered bullying, racism and sexual misconduct. Here's the audio. How was everybody's summer? Good? Yeah? Mine was great. (laughs) This summer, there were allegations of a toxic work environment at our show. I learned that things happened here that never should have happened. I take that very seriously, and I want to say I am so sorry to the people who were affected. And if I've ever let someone down, if I've ever hurt their feelings, I am so sorry for that. So the reaction to this was very mixed. Some called it half-hearted. Others said it was sincere. Laura Brodnick, I'm dying to know, what do you think? I've got to say, I think it was exactly what you and I predicted on a couple of weeks ago on our show when we first heard that she was going to address these allegations at the top of her new show. And I think it was exactly what we thought she was going to say. It was very measured. It was very precise. It was very being apologetic about the situation without kind of taking any responsibility for it, you know, and kind of like putting in her trademark humor and heart that the show's been known for for so long. So I don't think there was ever going to be a big revelation about it. I think a reason for the mixed reviews, which I completely understand, is that some people expected what to be made public what should have just been said internally. So people were expecting her to address the allegations and kind of either really apologise for it in a kind of very overly emotional way or they're expecting her to kind of talk them through the changes the show was going to make. I think you just have to look at it like does she owe that apology to the viewers like, or is that something that should be happening internally? And on saying that though, I do feel for the people who work at that show because if you've ever worked in like a toxic media culture, which so many of them across the world are, and have someone who's public facing in the company and watching what they say to the public versus how they act behind the scenes. The whole time I was just thinking, I wonder how the employees who work at that show and the ones that have left because of this are feeling watching that. Like that's what I'm interested in, but we'll never know the answer. Yeah, we will not ever know the answer. I think it just made me really uncomfortable watching it. I know, of course, she's meant to make jokes in that monologue, but it just was weird being like, sorry, lol, like, sorry, lol. Like the punchline and the timing of it was off, but she did note that they had made changes and we know about these three senior producers that were fired after the internal investigation. So she did make some reference to like specifics, but it was more so a blanket, yes, we're fixed it internally. And I'm kind of like, I don't know if you have. There's like a lack of ownership there. I think she should have just come out and been like, I'm sorry that I did this. 
or that I made this put these people feel this way and that it got to this point where these people had to get fired and that I missed it earlier on. Like I think that there was some key kind of language things she could have changed. Who knows, maybe legally she couldn't say it like that, but I feel like there was a little bit of kind of depth in the emotional stakes of it for me. But you can't fault it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but I wasn't kind of on that, though. I wasn't looking for her to make a big a, a public apology in that way for everything that happened behind the scenes because I think what she was saying, and I think there were little hidden things there where she was trying to say to us, like I actually would have just liked it if she had spoken a bit more direct and, and defended herself a little bit because I think she was defending herself in a very kind of uh, wishy-washy, roundabout way so it didn't come through, but she was trying to say like I'm the boss of over 200 people as if like I can keep track of all these people and also mm-hmm. talking about the fact like this has never just been about Ellen DeGeneres. Like she's just, no. it's always been about the fact that it's about the producers and the company and the whole the the network and, and the shtick of the show not actually matching yeah. what's going on behind the scenes yeah exactly. and she did really talk about the issues with having a brand that is kind like being kind mm. she said it's it's a tricky thing and it's I wouldn't recommend it to anyone that's exactly what she was trying to say in the monologue is like listen to the message of the show not critique every little thing I do behind the scenes so yeah it was definitely a very heavy laden laden with messages monologue that I think we'll be deciphering still for many days to come we will indeed and probably on the show The 72nd Primetime Emmy Awards took place yesterday and it's the first major award show to take place virtually during a pandemic. There were a handful of stars that were there in person to present and other nominees zoomed in from various locations. So host Jimmy Kimmel kicked off the show with a monologue in which he dubbed the awards the Pandemies. I personally love a pun, so it was off to a great start for me. And he then acknowledged that he was talking to an empty audience after old reels of audiences laughing from past awards shows were flashing up on screen, which I thought was quite a good trick. All right, uh, let's get this going. Uh, But first, you know what I'd really like? Let's have a standing ovation for me. The opening monologue for these shows is always such a make or break because it so sets the tone mm. and people decide early on whether or not they're going to be invested in it, whether it's going to be a rating success. So there was a lot riding on this particular one. And I think that Jimmy Kimmel, like you did need someone in that chair who knew how to steer something like this and knew how to kind of find that balance between the serious side of it and the fun side of it. And I did like that he pointed out that it was ridiculous to have the Emmys, but he also said it's ridiculous to have the Emmys every year because essentially, yeah. <laughs> essentially what it is, just like rich famous people congratulating each other but at the end of the day it is entertainment and I also thought it was good that he also really stood up for TV in particular and he said like you know this is a time where we all have to acknowledge that so many of us have gotten through this with TV shows with characters and with stories and they've been through us through this whole situation which is something that you and I have been saying since this whole kind of crazy pandemic 2020 started is that stories and entertainment are what is getting us through which is makes it even worse in Australia. They've been kind of cut out of all the funding and handouts. But I thought that was a nice way to kind of kick it into celebrating all these stories because, yes, a lot of these people are rich and famous and don't care, but a lot of them have been creating this content for us that we've been watching alone in our houses in the dark with while we've been cut off from seeing other people. So that was a nice start to it. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of continued on from there because it kind of almost felt normal for that first hour or so. And it seemed like I think we've got to give Shit's Creek a lot of um, credit for this because – they had all of the whole cast and crew of Ships Creek were kind of at this party that they'd put together, a COVID safe party. And it was in Canada where their restrictions are, are much less. But they had a clean, bloody sweep and were making records. So it almost felt like a normal award show because 
every time they won, we were kind of transported to their little Emmy setup with, you know, gorgeous little tables and a mic and everything. And thank God they did because they set a new record. Exactly. They're the first comedy to win across all those different categories in one season, which is completely unheard of. And especially when you look at the number of Emmys they won compared to the fact that they got some nominations last year, but they have never won an Emmy before, I thought was just really separate from everything else that was going on is a kind of clear cut indication that the voting of the Emmys might be going a completely different way going forward. Because the reason Schitt's Creek, their win was so interesting, and I wrote a big article about this yesterday because I kind of had to get into the backstory of it is that it's quite unheard of for shows to be lauded like this for the first time at the end of their series with the Emmys. Like the Emmys are about breaking the new entrance. So they're always honoring seasons. Like the shows that go on to win multiple times across multiple years are usually honored from their first season and critics start praising them before they even come on our screens because they've got big cast members or there's a lot of buzz around them. So it's really unheard of for the buzz of just the regular people who have discovered the show on Netflix to then influence the critics. So, yeah, it just goes to show that, you know, you can have this kind of unlikely road to success at the Emmys, which we don't normally see. And the clean sweep of the best actress and actors for comedy category, getting supporting and lead, like that is crazy. Or another crazy thing that I was super duper excited about was Zendaya making history, becoming the youngest person to win an Emmy for lead actress in a drama series for Euphoria. It was her first nomination. She's 24 years old. It was her first nomination and her first win. And it also makes her the second black woman to win Best Drama Actress Award, joining Viola Davis so she's in great company, who won for her work on How to Get Away with Murder in 2015. I was stoked. I don't know if you've seen her when she found out she's got this giant Emmy and she's like leaning back on her chair, like trying to avoid a little nip slip because her dress is like got little cutouts. But it's just, there was so much joy in that room and so well-deserved. You and I have been harping on about this um, series (laughs) for so long and it's just so good and her performance in it, it was so well-deserved. Exactly. And also one of the big, like, because obviously it was nice that Schitt's Creek won so many things and Succession won and Watchmen won. But I felt like going into this, all the categories, this is why there was no real buzz around Mm. the nominations, is that all the categories seemed quite locked beforehand. And this was the only one where we really saw a surprise, just because obviously everyone's saying that Zendaya's performance in that show is amazing. But she was up against a lot of actresses with a lot of clout who have also been getting more attention across a lot of more of the media outlets and the people who would vote the TV Academy because she was up against Jennifer Aniston, who we know is having such a moment right now. And, you know, they're wanting to hand her awards because they want her on screen more. And you've got Laura Linney and Olivia Coleman and Jodie Comer is always a really strong contender there. And also Sandra Oh, who's coming off this big kind of bigger wave of publicity that she's been doing. So it's like all those actresses with all these really established backgrounds have been campaigning for the award. And I just didn't see Zendaya in the mix going into this as much, just because I felt like she hadn't been running a big campaign like those other actresses did. But when she won, there was a lot of excitement. But there was also that headline in the New York Post who said that her win had led to a big upset, which then caused a big ruckus with fans who I'm not sure quite got the what that headline was trying to say, but there was definitely a kind of a connotation behind it about her win. Yes, they called it the biggest upset was the words that they used. And I think people had the issue of like, what really is an upset? And I think the term is used to describe an underdog victory. And like, I know that she's up against other um, female actors who have amazing credentials, Oscar winners, multi-Emmy Award winners, the last best actor in a drama series from last year, Jodie Comer. But I've seen all the performances, Bart, Olivia Coleman, and 
I think it was kind of obvious that she would win. I think it was obvious to the youths that she would win too <laughs> because this has been such – the show though has been such a trailblazer and like in within pop culture and just – the acting chops at that age like there's no way they couldn't have given it to her so yeah black twitter kind of got angry i was there along with them liking some stuff but i think now it's fine everyone just realizes it was just probably a bit of a poor choice in words because we fought for recognition for her performance and she got the recognition because she's got the emmy but i don't think that headline was maybe we disagree oh we do disagree on this i don't think there was anything wrong with that headline i think she was the biggest upset of the night in terms of upset the flow of what we expected but that's not always a bad thing and we've like just finished saying that it was was shocking that she won you've got to look at who's voting in these things like this is what we always say they're traditionally older white men who might not you know that's it's kind of what we talked about the oscars like but can we change for what you don't Yes. You can't vote for what you don't see. So not that I was worried that she wouldn't win because her performance wasn't worthy. I was worried that whole thing that happened at the Oscars with a lot of these older white male critics just looking at a show like Euphoria and saying, that's not for me, I'm not going to watch it. So then how can you vote for her? That's why I think it was an upset in terms of people being shocked that she broke through. But isn't that, can we not change the language to be biggest triumph? Like the biggest, like or biggest shock, biggest, maybe biggest shock, shock of night, or something. Like, I, I think, think upset leads to leads critique on the actual performance, and also also outrage culture. I don't want to be outraged by this because she won, and it doesn't even matter. Yeah. But I do think we do have to be careful about the words that we use. Yeah, exactly. Well, with the devastation of COVID, the rise of Black Lives Matter movement and a make or break election in just over 40 days, it was never going to be a show that didn't have powerful messages coming out of it. It just couldn't be. The stakes are way too high. So Uzo Aduba and Regina King pay tribute to Breonna Taylor while accepting their Emmys. They both won. They took home Emmys for the night, which is so exciting. And they wore um, T-shirts honouring Breonna, who was a 26-year-old emergency room technician who was killed by police back in March and her killers still have not been prosecuted. So that was like a lovely touch. I also love Mark Ruffalo's acceptance speech, again, with the election in the States coming closer and closer. He was really impassioned and really calling on people to vote and vote for what's right. But I think the show itself, the one really interesting thing that I wanted to touch on was how much the Emmys made a point to really lean into the political and lean into the unjust. So there were conversations about inclusion with segments with Issa Rae and also America Ferreira recalling different times they had been um, pitching ideas for shows or in the you know conversations with studio heads and they had been overlooked because of their ethnicity and I just thought that that was a real nice touch for them to include and it had the potential to sit really weirdly but it didn't and I think it was because it was from their own lived experience and seeing how successful they were I think it was a good kind of juxtaposition of had they not have persevered against everything they were up against we would never have had this like brilliance. Yeah, exactly. There were so many moments like that that I think got overshadowed by the spectacle of it. But even just listening to Tyler Perry's speech. When I was uh, about 19 years old, I left home and my grandmother, she gave me a quilt that she had made. And this quilt was something that I didn't really care for. It had all these different colors and these different patches in it. And I was quite embarrassed by it. I had no value in it at all. When uh, the dog got wet, I dried him off with it. When uh, I needed to change the oil on the car, I laid it on the ground. I had no respect for this quilt. Many years later, as I was walking past one of those fancy antique stores that I could finally go in and shop, I saw in the window a quilt that looked just like the one that she had given me. And as I'm in the store wondering where that quilt was, there was an attendant who walked up to me and said, let me tell you about this quilt. 
It was made by an African-American woman who was a former slave, and each patch in the quilt she had put in represented a part of her life. One part was from a dress that she was wearing when she found out that she was free. Another part was from her wedding dress when she jumped the broom. And as I was hearing this story, I became so embarrassed. Here I was, a person who prides myself on celebrating our heritage, our culture, and I didn't even recognize the value in my grandmother's quilt. And talking about the quilt of like how our stories mm. are made. And so I thought that was like a really beautiful moment in amongst all the COVID craziness. Okay, so we've talked a lot about what did work. Do we want to talk about what didn't work for the show? Because, oh, Always. yeah, exactly. That's kind of what we care about. Things that didn't work, um, not from my point of view, but Jennifer Aniston was the first person out on the stage. She and Jimmy Kimmel did this whole bit about how um, they had to um, take all the germs off the envelope and they kind of put it um, through sanitizer and they set it on fire. All right. Yeah. Wait five seconds. Five? And then if you grab the fire extinguisher. Oh, yes. Thank you. Okay. Oh, gosh. Once all the germs have been burned off. Okay, here we go. Perfect. Got it. Perfect. Got it. Okay. And, oh, wait, wait. Oh. Got it. All right. All right. Sanitize for your protection. And Jennifer Aniston had that fire extinguisher, and she kept putting it out, and it kept catching back on fire. Now, I thought that was the joke. I thought the joke was that she wasn't allowed <laughs> to put the fire out, and that was funny. But actually, apparently, that was a mistake. Apparently, if you listen back to the show, you can hear the crew in the background gasping because the fire was meant to go out the first time, but it didn't. And, Kay, I know this is controversial, but things that didn't work, I thought the Friends little reunion then. Don't No, you come dare. on now. It's being overused. I know that the actual reunion show that they were supposed to do has been pushed back because of COVID. Like a lot of things in life, they keep reusing that same little shtick over and over again. They were already going out of time. A lot of people's big emotional moments, you're really shaking your head at me, a lot of people's big emotional acceptance moments were cut short. Um, you know, people were left out of the memorial montage because they didn't have enough time to honour all the people who had died. Yet we have time to see the three friends ladies hanging out. Again, they hang out all the time. It's not newsworthy anymore. So I thought that was... Well, damn, when you <laughs> put it like that Sorry, I really feel like I an mean to bring the memoriam. that was a low blow <laughs> yeah the memoriam you're gonna bring up the memoriam Sorry, that was a really low blow but I just thought unnecessary also is it memorandum I just thought I just called it the memorial segment is that not oh I think it's called memorandum yeah. but, but I was also, calling it the memoriam me memorial anyway <laughs> Um, but the thing that people are quite upset about, which I didn't quite notice, was um, I, well, I didn't really think about it at the time, but Jason Sudeikis was doing this little bit where he got a COVID test live on the oh, show. Yeah. And obviously he was really hamming it up for dramatic um, entertainment effects, so he made it seem like a really big deal. But now that this whole movement today is saying that that could have actually really deterred people from getting, the, um, getting a COVID-19 test because they saw him do it on screen and saw how uncomfortable it was. So that was the only COVID joke, which wasn't a joke was a safety issue but it really worked was the fact that all the Emmys were delivered by people working for the Emmys um, who were wearing hazmat suits that looked like tuxedos and the idea was that if you were in an area where they could get to you they would come and stand outside your home with the Emmy statue looking like someone who was about to like one of the people who like raided E.T.'s house in that movie and if you won they would come in and give you the Emmy in the hazmat suit and if you lost they would just walk away holding your statue never to be seen again. I think out of this whole kind of mess that we'll never really remember who won. We'll always just look back on this as the year that COVID kind of stole the Emmys from us. But I think that's the one thing I'll have in my brain forever. 
Thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. We hope you're as excited as we are talking about the Emmys. Thank God they didn't get cancelled. They couldn't go another awards season without talking about some ritzy ditzy. If you want to talk about some ritzy ditzy, we have a Facebook page and we often throw in different things in there each day. We are growing our Spiller community, so why don't you come find us on Facey and be our friends? This episode of The Spill was produced by Mel Zauer. We'll see you on mamamia.com.au. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.